The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come before you this morning and remember your death, the death of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we, we come humbled before you. I pray that as we get into the text and as we see the pain and the suffering that Christ went through for us, that we would be changed by it. That we would see our need to live our lives in light of the sacrifice that he made, in light of the life that he has given to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we gather this morning to remember the significance of the sacrifice that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ gave to us, I don't know if there's a better way to start a service than to open the Word of God together and to read through the account of what Christ went through to give us life. If you have your Bibles, can you please turn to the book of Matthew, and we'll begin reading in Matthew chapter 27 at verse 15. Now at that feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had, been, they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Rabbis. Pilate saith unto them, what shall, then I, what shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. The governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? They cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail, that he could prevail nothing, But that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit upon him. They took the reed and smote him on the head. 
And after that they had mocked him. And they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there, and set up over his head his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on his right hand and another on his left. And they passed by and reviled him, wagging their heads. And saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him, with the scribes and elders said, He saved others, but he himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Which is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there. When they heard that said, this man called for Elias. And straight away one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. And the rest said, let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried out again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake, and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. This is the word of our Lord. It's indeed a sobering account, the crucifixion that Jesus endured for us. Today we are a people of great entertainment. We spend vast amounts of time, resources, money, consuming it. But a byproduct of this is that we become desensitized to violence. Never in human history have we been, we have, have we been exposed or so readily uh, available to consume violence. We can flip on our phones, our TVs, and and we can see it, and and we become desensitized to it. And as a result, when we open Scripture and we read of the account of Jesus and the crucifixion, we can read through it, and it it doesn't seem quite as bad as maybe it, it should. However, if we were to take ourselves and drop our ourselves in the time and the place where Jesus was crucified, and we were to witness 
the horrors of the crucifixion for ourselves, we would have a very, very different opinion about what Christ endured for us. We would see that not only did Christ suffer greatly on the cross, but prior to his crucifixion, he suffered tremendously. We would see that he was first struck in the presence of Caiaphas. He was blindfolded, taunted as to his identity. He was spit upon and struck upon his face. We would then witness Christ brought back before Pilate, scourged. See, when we read through the account in Scripture, something such as being scourged is easy to just read over, but to actually get into the details of what took place when Christ was scourged is a whole matter, a whole different matter entirely. See, the Romans would use a, a whip called a flagrum, and a, upon that whip, there would be cords, and at the end of those cords, there would be bones and, and sharp objects. And as the whip was cast, and it hit the victim, in this case, Jesus, the bones would grab a hold of the flesh that was there and start to slowly just rip away the flesh. In fact, most victims, when they were scourged, they were not facing the person that was doing such a thing to them. And as the whip would wrap around and hit the back, it would wrap around to the abdomen of the individual. And it would lodge itself in the abdomen. And as it was ripped away, it would rip flesh from the abdomen. It's actually important to note that many crucifixion victims did not actually make it past this point, that they, they bled. And they bled until they died. Jesus was then robed in a Roman short cloak a cloak that was specifically designed to embarrass and affront a Jewish tendency towards modesty. Jesus was subjected to a crown of thorns that was lodged into his skull before before being beaten with a mock scepter until he was no longer recognizable. He was then taken and laid upon the cross and his wrists and his feet were pounded through with nails. It's actually true that when his feet were pounded through with nails, there would have been only enough flex left within his knees that he could begin the excruciating and agonizing process of lifting himself up to get a breath and then letting himself back down to only more pain and agony. The description of this event is sobering. To witness this event would have been extremely traumatic. And yet the physical torture that Christ endured was but a shadow of the spiritual pain in which he bore. See, this is difficult for us to understand. We can read the account and we can understand the flesh and the blood, or we can at least attempt to understand the flesh and the blood, the suffering that Christ went through. But to try and wrap our minds around the fact that that was but a fraction of the suffering that Christ endured on the cross, and that the greater suffering that he endured was spiritual, It was separation. It was the wrath of God over the sins of all of humanity, both past, present, and future, being poured out on the head of one innocent man, on the Son, nonetheless. Finally, the greatest horror of all, infinitely greater than all the rest, was the Son being separated from the Father. 
For us, this is difficult to understand the intimacy and the closeness of the, the Trinity of the Godhead. But there was separation. During the crucifixion, God the Father turned His back on the Son. So great was this pain that He who had not raised a word of complaint or objection through the entire torturing process finally cried out, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? The physical pain that Christ endured was no match for the spiritual pain from the separation that He endured from His Father. The blood was spilled and the body was broken, but worst of all, God turned His back on His only Son. Now with the crucifixion account fresh in our minds and the suffering that Christ went through upon our hearts, let's turn back in our Bibles to the book of John. And I'd like to begin reading at John chapter 17. The context of John chapter 17 is that Jesus had just finished the Last Supper. He had just finished instructing and, and speaking to His disciples. And now, as He went out, He lifted his eyes to heaven and he prayed to his Father knowing full well every detail that was about to happen to him. With that in mind, let's read the words of John chapter 17, verse 1 to 5. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, Father, Glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. John 17 is known as the Holy of Holies of Sacred Scripture. This chapter is a record of the greatest prayer that was ever prayed. The prayer of the Son of God, the God the Father. We know other prayers in the Bible. We know, most notably, the the Lord's Prayer. But you could argue that this was actually considered the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer that we know is is Jesus teaching the disciples, the apostles, how to pray. When you pray, this is what it should look like. This is a model for how you should pray. We know that Jesus prayed much of the time on on His earthly ministry. He was consistently going to a secluded place to spend time with His Father. But we only have... The, the record or his prayer recorded one place in Scripture, and that is John 17. It is sacred. It is holy. Here we get a glimpse into the intimacy of the Father and the Son. We get a glimpse into the complexity and the intimacy within the Trinity of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. One of the things that, that uh, my family does around the dinner table is I'll often ask, uh, our, we'll ask our children uh, questions, uh, basic questions, uh, to, to 
help uh, establish uh, the faith and, and bring them up in the faith. And uh, simple questions, you know, um, why did God create you? Uh, who is Jesus? Who is who is the Father? Who is who is the Spirit? And they they can actually answer pretty well. But a, a lot of times when we get to the Trinity, I'll actually turn to Willow, who is uh, just a little two year old running around causing mischief, and I'll ask Willow, uh, Willow, explain for me the Trinity. And Willow just sits there and she just kind of smiles and sheepishly looks up at me, uh, because obviously she doesn't understand what I'm saying, let alone the Trinity, uh, the the complexities that are within the Trinity. And yet, I think for us, as, as much as we, we maybe don't like to admit it, when we consider or we think about the Trinity ourselves, certainly we know what is said in Scripture. Certainly we can, we can meditate upon the, the Trinity, the, the God, Godhead, Father, Spirit, and, and Son. But when it comes to the Trinity, it is still very much a mystery to us. John 17 gives us a wonderful window into that Trinity. In the closing moments before the most consequential event in human history, we get to see the heart of Jesus Christ. As we look through our text this morning, I'd like to draw your attention to three points of importance within these first five verses. Number one, we see the humility of Jesus Christ. We see that after he he went out, he lifted his eyes up to heaven. This may seem like a simple, non-consequential act, but we do see within this act of lifting his eyes up to his Father, we see the humility of Jesus Christ. Other uh, portions of Scripture record uh, the lifting up of eyes to heaven, most notably in Psalm 123, Unto thee I lift my eyes, O thou that dwellest in the heavens. Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord. Furthermore, in verse 2, we see that Jesus had been given authority over all flesh, and yet he does not use this to his own advantage upon earth, but he continues to submit to the plan and the will of his Father. This demonstrates tremendous humility, especially with full knowledge as to what he is about to endure on the cross. I can't think of a better passage of Scripture that that describes the humility of Christ, then Philippians 2.8, the, the beautiful hymn of Christ. It says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. If by nothing else we can see the humility of Christ in the order and the way that John 17 is laid out. John 17 is a whole 26 verses. Jesus takes the first five to pray for himself. Remaining verses are split between Jesus praying for his disciples, Jesus praying for future believers, no matter what Jesus walked through, no matter what he understood about what was to come, Jesus submitted and humbled himself perfectly to the will of his Father. The second point that I would like us to consider this morning is that Christ may be glorified. The second part of this passage calls us to see that Jesus did and God does call 
for his own glory. As Christians in an age of self-obsession, in an age of narcissism, in an age where we have devices that allow us just to meditate and think upon ourself, 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 when we're advertised to, when we see marketing, and we're just bombarded by this wave of, you know what, you need to concentrate in this world on yourself and forget everything else. We must never forget the whole plan of redemptive history, and that is that God is to be glorified. Notice here that although Christ calls to be glorified, his call in doing so is that the Father may ultimately be glorified to, through him. Verse 2 says, As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Verse 1 sorry, says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that the Son may also glorify thee. The Father was to be glorified through the Son. Christ perfectly fulfilled the will of his Father by dying on a cross of all things. And in doing so, he was given a name that is above every name. It was promised in the Old Testament. It was fulfilled in the New Testament. And now we wait the day when Jesus Christ will split the eastern sky and return to this earth to rule and reign. In our text that that Brother Tom read this morning from the book of Daniel, we see in Daniel 7.14, and I'm just going to read it one more time for the purpose of refreshing. It says, And there was given him dominion, and glory, and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. You see, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross was not the end. Because three days later he rose from the grave. And because of that, because of the blood that was shed, and the body that was broken, and the resurrection that took place, We have new life in Jesus Christ if we call upon his name. We are part of a kingdom that can never be shaken. No matter what happens in this world, no matter if our false sense of security has been absolutely blown up in 2020, we are citizens of a kingdom that can never, ever be shaken. About two weeks ago, I read a story as I was just searching through news and reading kind of on the latest events and what's going on in the world with Christians worldwide. And I came upon a story that's not a brand new story. Actually, it came out in June of this year. But the story is that the government of China has stepped up its persecution of Christians within that country during COVID-19. That as everything that was happening with COVID-19, it has kind of re-updated or re-upped its persecution of Christians. This is not new in China, but it is yet again being pursued in earnest. The country of China has actually tried many times to abolish Christianity, and yet it can never work. The way in which they were doing it this time is they got a committee together, and this committee figured out that, or this committee concluded, I should say, that if they were to actually take the words of Scripture and distort Scripture, fall in line with what the Communist Party of China thinks, then they can delude and they can have Christianity within their country, but it'll be a Chinese-friendly version of Christianity. I think it's safe to say that the Chinese government is worried about the Christian faith. 
The specific example that the story gave is in John 8. When the woman that is caught in adultery comes before Jesus, and she is cast down, and the Pharisees are there, and they are condemning her. And as we know in the story, Jesus bends down, and he writes with his fingers in the dirt. And then he, as he stands back up, he says, let, let the one of you that has no sin be the first to cast the stone at this woman. As we know in the story, none of them are sin-free. So they all start to fade away one by one by one. Finally, when they're gone, Jesus kneels down to the woman who was caught in the act of, of adultery and says, Woman, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Well, the Chinese have rewritten this version of Scripture, and it goes something like this. The woman is brought before Jesus. The Pharisees condemn her. Jesus uh, kneels down, writes in the dirt. He says what he says, and then the Pharisees start to fade away. But here's where the story changes, because after the Pharisees fade away, Jesus does not say to the woman, woman, I do not condemn you either. Instead, Jesus says that he upholds the law, and we know the punishment of adultery under the law in the Old Testament was to be stoned to death. And Jesus proceeds to pick up a stone to kill the woman that's caught in adultery. This is a version of scripture that is going to be printed in China. As I was thinking through this week and and preparing this week and and really meditating on God's plan in redemptive history and and what he's done and how he's accomplishing things here and now, I got to thinking that as scary as that is, that that you have a government that is as powerful as as the government of China rewriting scripture and, and certainly probably printing the scripture in mass, that as God sits on his throne in heaven, as Jesus sits at his right hand, they must be looking down and saying, what a pathetic attempt to stop the word of God, to stop what we're doing in this earth. You see, the kingdom of God cannot be shaken by any man, not any government, not even by Satan himself. Jesus told Peter, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. There's nothing that can stop our God. The third point I would like you to consider this morning is that of eternal life and the truth that we find in Jesus Christ. The 21st century is a time of relativism. Truth is no longer absolute within our culture today. Your truth is not my truth, and truth is really whatever works or feels good at the time. Right? And this is playing out in our culture today. It's, this is not some theory. This is, this is everyday flesh and blood. This is, this is happening. We have men that can wake up one day and say, I no longer think that I am a man. I believe that I am a woman. And that's the truth that you have to abide by. You can have a man wake up one day and say, My truth is no longer that I should take care of my wife and my family. I'm going to go and do what I want to do. Certainly this is a consequence of the fall, but we can see the implications and the devastation of the the truth that is being lost within our culture, the the idea that the truth is an absolute, that there are right and there are wrong. There may not be uh, a more offensive point to make in today's age but to say that Scripture is absolutely clear that eternal life and truth is found in none other than 
Jesus Christ. When we pick up this book, we have the standard as to how we are supposed to live. We have the truth in front of us. And you see that the truth and the standard has not been set by man. We understand from the word of God that God has set the standard. That he gave us his law in the Old Testament. He gave us the standard that we are to live up to. Now the bad news for man is that we have in, in no way, shape, or form any hope of ever living up to that standard. That God expects perfection and that we fall flat in our face the moment the bell goes and we jump out of the gate. We miss the mark entirely. We know that this is the consequence of sin and the fall. We cannot reconcile this. There's nothing that we can do. There's no amount of success. There's no amount of good works. There's no amount of goodness that can be done in our lives to reconcile the fact that we have missed the mark with God our Father. We are in need of someone to reconcile this for us. Praise the Lord that we have Jesus Christ. That he was willing to humble himself as we have discussed. That he was willing to to be subjected to to the gravest torture that, that anybody could ever, ever endure. And even more so that he was willing to go on that cross and to bear the wrath of God upon the sin of humanity, both past, present, and future, for you and for me. What love is that? Do you ever think about that? Not just, just love, mushy kind of love, but what love it is that God gave his only son to die on a cross for us. Through the death of Christ, the wrath of God was satisfied. And if we now take our faith and our trust, and we come to Jesus Christ, and we fall flat on our face before him, and we repent of our sins, we are given new life. We are guaranteed an inheritance that is far greater than anything that this world can offer. Christ was not vanquished when he died on the cross. He rose on the third day. He now intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father. I love the idea that as I walk through this life, I continue to sin, and I continue to sin, and I continue to sin. And certainly as a a a blood-bought sinner that has been saved by Jesus Christ, I will certainly become be, be sinning less as I'm sanctified by the Holy Spirit. But as I continue to sin, that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father and he says, nope, that sin, that miss of the mark there, that that is, yes, punishable by death for eternity. But that one's mine. Because I paid the ultimate penalty on the cross. They have humbled themselves and they have place their faith and their trust in me, and they're now, they're now mine. So what do we do with this? Take a look at John 17, verse 1 to 5. We understand that Jesus full well had every understanding down to the last excruciating detail of what he was about to endure, and yet he steps out, he prays to his Father, he humbles himself, he says, I am ready to do your will. Probably about 20 minutes from now, we're all going to get in our vehicles. And we're going to leave here. We're going to go on our way. We're going to go home. may turn on Sunday football. may turn on the news. Don't turn on the news. But what impact will our reflection here, what impact will the Lord's table have upon our week? 
Or even better yet, what impact will the Lord's table have upon the rest of our day? Will we leave here completely forget everything that we have reflected upon? Everything that Jesus Christ has done for us? How do we move forward after pondering Christ's humility, his glory, and the fact that truth is none other than Jesus Christ as he faced such a horrifying death? To those of you who don't know Christ, Christ suffered this way, exactly this way, for you. He suffered this for you. This was thousands of years ago. Christ knew exactly who you were going to be. He was willing to go to the cross and suffer everything that we have talked about. Suffer the unimaginable of his father turning his back on him for you, personally. The only response to that is to fall down before him and to call upon his name and place your faith and your trust in him. This world, if you cannot tell, is completely and utterly imploding around us. The security that we have, the affluence that we have, the trust that we have placed in so many things other than the Word of God and Jesus Christ is crumbling. But you have an opportunity today to join the family, to join the kingdom that cannot and will not ever be shaken. What about those of us who are? men and women that have bought and purchased by the blood of Christ, who have placed our faith in him. The only response for us when we consider what we've gone through is to come before him with reverence and humility. To come before him with fear. Not a fear of of being afraid of, of Jesus. He went to his death in every way that we've described to save you. But to come before him in a reverence that says, Lord, I see what you have done for me, and now inform me in how I am going to live out my days here on earth. Our time is short. Our days are short. Our years are short. Let the word of God, let what Christ has done here inform how we are going to live. Spend time with him. Walk daily with him. Pray. Read. And fear not. Be full of joy. Walk this week, walk today as a child of the King. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you. May we be affected by what Jesus has done for us on the cross. May we see, may we understand. May you open our hearts to the truth and the reality that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Son of the only true God. May we submit ourselves before him. May we live our lives in light of what he has done for us. May we be obedient to him. May we find our joy in him. May we be satisfied in him because there is nothing else in this world that can satisfy us the way that Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, can do. As we come before you now and as we celebrate the cup and the bread, may us reflect upon the blood that was shed, the body that was broken, and the significance of the most consequential act in human history. We pray these things in your humble, 
holy name, Jesus.